as you might have gotten the gist so far in this worship service, it's Stewardship Sunday. As we are in the midst of our stewardship campaign for 2023, the theme of which is Open Wide Your Hearts, this is the Sunday on which I get to preach about giving. As I was thinking about this, I, I, I still remain amazed every year that you come on such a day. But also, this is the 20th stewardship sermon that I've preached in my ministry. And the amazing thing is that every single time, the congregations that I have served, this one in particular, has responded in loving, caring, and generous ways. And the ministry is always secure. Such is the good news on such a day as this. So here from the Gospel of Matthew, a passage upon which is based some classic themes of Christian stewardship from the sixth chapter. May God bless to us the reading of God's word. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret, and your maker who sees in secret will reward you. And later, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. Okay, here are a few things that I have heard about fundraising over my years in ministry. Wes, some have told me, we are bombarded with fundraising from every direction, universities, charities, arts organizations, animal shelters, political parties, the PTA, the American Association for Canasta Preservation. <laughs> Does the church really need to do that too? Can't I just come to church without being asked for money? Fair enough. But I've also heard you tell me that the church actually needs to ask for money more often and all year long. People don't give unless they're asked, I'm told. 
I also hear that we ought to learn from the professionals at this fundraising business, <coughs> excuse me, because the way the church asks for money is old-fashioned, kind of quaint. Keep the goal in mind, they tell me. If you want to meet the budget, cater to the larger givers, because nonprofits everywhere these days are depending on fewer larger givers. How about publishing tiers of giving and ask folks to get to the platinum level if they can? I hear that I should forget this stewardship is the responsibility of the membership business. That's also out of date as the pastor. I'm the fundraiser. So I should know what every one of you gives to the church and I should treat you accordingly. But then I hear, for God's sake, don't know what people give to the church. A pastor shouldn't know that. Maybe we should imitate NPR, a special concert, or a little gift for folks who pledge. Keep the tone light, I hear, and the appeal indirect. And then I hear that we should be serious and make the appeal direct. How about one of those big thermometers in the narthex? Oh, please, 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 no thermometers, someone else tells me. Or that we might do better if we could, would start naming buildings and rooms after people. I'm also told that people want to know the budget before they pledge. And then I'm told don't publish the budget when you ask people to pledge because people don't give to budgets, people give to people. Make it personal. I'm told not to tell you that your giving keeps the lights on and pays my salary, but that I should talk about more interesting things. And then I'm told that I should remind you that there are basic expenses here and that the more inspiring things that we do depend on a well-maintained campus, fairly compensated staff, well-funded programs, and bills paid on time. I hear that maybe we should let you individualize your giving and, and divide your giving to only to programs that you like if that's your preference. And then I'm told, never, ever, ever do that. And then I hear that you should thank folks and thank them again as often as possible. And then some of you tell me that thanking is fine, but I shouldn't spend so much time and money on that because giving is your pleasure and part of your Christian duty. Invite you into the ministries that you make possible. That's how we thank you. For to support ministry is a privilege for which you are grateful. I've heard that maybe we shouldn't have a pledge drive at all and just let you give as you wish. And then I've been encouraged to just send you a bill. <laughs> let you know that this isn't free and tell you how much your participation costs. No lie, I know a church where the stewardship committee one year sent a letter to everyone who had pledged the previous year and told them that this coming year their pledge would be increased 5% unless they called the church and told them not to. That did not go over well. Are you catching my drift? 
I have heard all kinds of advice, all offered in good faith and with many ideas just contradicting each other. There is some truth in all of it, and there's some well-meaning error, too. But alongside of what I have heard over the years about fundraising, let me also tell you what I have learned over these years, and not about fundraising, but about Christian stewardship. For at its best, the church has always wanted to talk less about fundraising and more about stewardship, caring for and caring over. And I don't think that impulse is quaint at all. So here is what I have learned about stewardship from you all. For one, I have learned that you know that this really matters. You want the church to succeed. You want the facilities and the ministries and the staff and the local and global ministries we support to thrive. You want our work to be well-grounded and reaching forward. You give your money, your prayer, your time, your vision, your talents, and you want to join others who do the same and want the same. That's why you give all that good advice. But as much as you want the church to succeed, I have also learned that you actually want church to be different from other institutions. I've learned that after all is said and done, you really do want the church to be church. You don't want it to be like your school, if you have one, or your club, if you have one, or your HOA, if you have one, or your political party, if you have one, or the IRS. As you want the church to succeed, and as you want the church to succeed differently than other organizations, you want what we do together to connect to truths that are higher and faith that is deeper and inspiration that is more life-changing than other parts of your life. You want this to be the fire for which everything else is the flame. You might not say it that way or even think that way, but it's still what you want when all is said and done. You want our approach to express faith, to be honest and principled, and to have more trust than technique. So you want the church to do well, you want the church to be different, and you want the way we do all of this to be faithful. So aside all of the things that I've heard, that's what I've learned. So let's take that. Let's take that to Matthew's Gospel, to the passage read in your hearing about almsgiving. That passage has inspired one of the classic principles of Christian stewardship, which is the idea of giving humbly in all parts of your life, of giving in all parts of your life as an act of faith. 
as impractical as it might be in fundraising, Christian stewardship has always held that the highest form of giving is quiet, even anonymous giving, giving for its own sake. And again, as part of faith. Hear from the passage again. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen. Do not sound a trumpet before you, or the praise you get from others will be the reward you get. When you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be hidden and your maker who sees will reward you. And that beautiful final message, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Underneath all of this is an image of Christian living that I have described from this pulpit before when the joy of giving is shared in such a way that giving is receiving and receiving is giving and if someone looks at it all from the outside they can't tell who is giving and who is receiving. It's all one thing. And that's a beautiful vision. It goes well beyond deciding what surplus you might have this year, if any, to give as a charitable donation. It goes to what you have heard from George Kohlberg, our elder chair of stewardship, when he uses the word whole life stewardship. It goes to living faith fully expressed in all parts of our lives, including how we use our money. I have read this passage, read to you several times over the years, and, and maybe like some of you who've heard it before, my thoughts usually go to that idea of quiet giving, or to that idea of not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. I've been drawn to the wisdom that what you treasure you will care for, or that what you're grateful for you will love, and what you know is a gift to you, you will share with others. Maybe you've pondered all of that too. But this year, as I read that passage, in light of all that I'm saying this morning, I find myself wondering about that other sentence there, the one about hands. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's curious. It seems to be about more than just another way to talk about humble giving. For two hands, the left, let's see, the left and the right, are already part of a single body. What does it mean to hide one from the other? As hard as I try, I can't hide my left hand from my right hand. They will eventually find each other. 
So I'm left wondering if the idea of our left hand not knowing what our right hand is doing is really more about the source of Christian stewardship, about living an integrated whole life where we don't know the difference between the left and the right, connected, flowing, like a dancer or like an athlete on the basketball court whose arm movements are so fluid from one to the other that one doesn't really see the difference, just the flow. One hand not knowing what the other hand is doing because they're acting in sync. Maybe that's an image of stewardship that we can learn more about. Not giving just from the extra. Not seeing any difference between what we need, what we want, what we store up to save, and what we give. Not dividing our lives into buckets or zones, just giving generosity all around as part of who we are and what we do. In this vision, with one hand not knowing that it's different from the other hand, Christian giving is not a mark on a pledge card or a line on a budget or a number on a tax return. In this vision, Christian giving is an expression of what we value and how we live there's no difference. This is a heart that is open wide, a mind that is aware, a vision that is inclusive of all aspects of life, and a way of living that, as I said, is integrated. You know, brain therapy sometimes uses an exercise of bouncing a ball back and forth from the left hand to the right hand, on the ground, up, left hand, right hand, as a way of balancing the mind and integrating the nervous system. It is the same in faith as we learn to integrate the parts of our lives that we don't see as separate. Needs and opportunities in your community of faith Meet needs and opportunity in your home life, just as needs and opportunities in your work and in your community activities and in your recreation and in how you teach your children or where you travel or what you eat or how, who you spend your time with or what you ask for and what you give. They're all a part of that single thing called Christian life. Arms and hands reaching together, wrapped around one open heart. So let me see if I can say it all again. Above what more we have to learn. Think of all the talk today around us that separates our lives into parts. As if our lives are kind of a zero-sum game of competition between work and life and family and church. Tempting us to think about our faith as just another organization we're a member of. Which we tend to after we've taken care of things closer to home. That's not the vision of Christian stewardship. Christian stewardship again sees it all as one 
as part of a whole, all of your life, as part of the church, a context to love and care and take responsibility where you learn and live your faith. This is how stewardship is different from fundraising. We don't first ask what we can give. We ask first what we love and what we hope for and what we want to be a part of and what part we can play with others in God's life with our whole lives. It's right there. It's that journey in the discoveries that you make when you let it all connect. You fear less, so you protect less. You protect less, so you give more. You give more because you feel a part of more. You know all of life is a gift, and the church is where you join with others to give thanks for life and together with others to try to figure out how to live this life. This ministry is yours, just as any other part of your life. And this ministry is ours, together committed to God's purpose, not for the pride of it, but for the promise of it. I do want you to experience church that way. And when we do, All it takes to meet a budget is just to ask. For this is a God thing, where our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing, because it's just a part of who we are. You want the church to thrive just as the church wants you to thrive, and you will help make that possible. We have no need to worry And we can care a little bit less about how to be successful and a little bit more about what and who we are saying yes to as we live out our faith. And that is what I mean when I say we have more trust than technique. And as we trust, our hearts will open wide. Amen.